Hey there, and welcome to Marvel by the Month. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. Rob, it's a hot one. We are in the middle of a heat wave. <laughs> yes. It's not burning in my heart at all. It's just sort of cracking the paint outside. But yeah, it's a heat wave. And uh, you're recording in a tiny little upstairs room with very limited AC. Yes. I started off uh, fairly cool. Um, mm-hmm. I made the mistake of opening the door to go out on the balcony. Um, it, here's the thing. Um, Barb has a DJ level bubble machine that wow. she makes special bubble fluid for by the gallon. So she orders like glycerin in like FBI flag amounts from the I was going to say internet. you guys are on so many lists. And, and, and it's on at, every day for at least like four or five hours just blowing bubbles into the neighborhood. Uh, it's pretty magical if you're not us that has like this grapevine slicked with bubble grease and a machine <laughs> that's all covered in grossness out there. But uh, I went out there. So I opened the porthole into this room to the balcony, which just let uh really crappy hot air in here. So yeah, I'm, I, I, I might die during this, but I it's, I'm willing to sacrifice for the podcast. I mean, honestly, I, I respect your commitment. I don't share it at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this will be a fun episode though, because I uh, just, I think the longer it goes on, um, the less sense you will be making. Um, and just kind of coincidentally, I think I arranged the issues uh, this week in the, the one that makes the most sense uh, and then proceeding uh, slowly into insanity. So <laughs> perfect. So, um, so I'll sound just fine all the way through. Yeah. You'll be able to match the energy just fine. You look like you're safely uh, perched in the Marvel by the month uh, cell. Yes. In your basement. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm in the basement. Um, I'm in the only windowless room in my house. So, uh, I mean, if there's a fire, uh, I'm done for because I'm just <laughs> surrounded by paper. Um, and walls of comic books. There's <laughs> only one way in and out. So, um, you know, uh, this could be my last will and testament, but hopefully not um, because uh, we've got a really good show today. And you also, you and I also have been um, just I mean, no one knows this yet because we haven't released them, but we, we have been busting out a ton of bonus episodes and just doing a lot of recording lately. Yeah. And and watching really bad movies for some of those recordings. Uh, so we have been, yeah, the last two weeks we've been doing like four times the output we normally do yeah. that nobody knows about. So they're just like, shut up and get on with the podcast jerks. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. It's it's been a long couple weeks, um, and that's why this episode is sponsored by uh, Highball Brand Sparkling Energy Water. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we got some. Uh, we've scheduled out some great guests, um, and you know, of course, the recording is just part of that. Like coordinating with the schedules, um, getting everyone on the same page, and getting them the Zoom info and all that is. I mean, this is shop talk. No one really wants to hear that's it. That's the glamour. Yeah. 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 That's like loading your gear at shows when you're in a band. It's just the glamorous <laughs> part. Yes. <laughs> um, and then every now and then we get a guest who uh, has to make a last minute change because he wants to risk being eaten by a bear or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I guess we should just introduce that guest right now, uh, making his record setting sixth appearance on the podcast. Mr. Noah Campbell is back with us. Hey, Noah. Hello. 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 Uh, so, uh, how was your camping expedition? It was pretty good. Yeah. Got a canoe, uh, a kayak. We got a kayak that's uh, big enough for a dog, our 83 pound mutt. Uh, so it's like a little hole for the, it's got like an extra big, uh, passenger 
hole. You could put like a big cooler or a gigantic dog that wants to stand <laughs> up and almost tip you over every 10 minutes. It sounds very relaxing. Yeah. Uh, slept about four hours a night uh, and I'm wow. glad to be home. Unlike Rob, I'm in, I'm in my basement where it's freezing cold. It's a hundred <laughs> degrees out. Uh, <laughs> So as, as his brain melts and your brain freezes, uh, this yeah. episode should be a lot of fun. I, I'll say uh, there's some good comics to talk about today. So Yes, we won't get into into detail with any of these just yet, but uh, what did you think? Really good. It feels like it was tailored for, for me this time around. So, <laughs> Well, you know, without giving too much away, uh, we did have a, a new insect themed villain. So we knew that we had to have you on the podcast to cover that. <laughs> yes. so. I've seen, so any giant beetle. Uh, if there's I'll a giant be, beetle, then we get you. Yeah, that's yeah, what happens. Exactly. <laughs> Your beetle guy. Uh, not to be confused with Rob, who is Beatles guy. Um, and uh, talking about that, maybe we should just jump into our historical context for July oh, 1966 yeah. when uh, all these issues hit the newsstands. Because uh, there is some uh, some Beatles news in here, although I don't think we're going to start out with that. Um, Rob, do you want to uh, kick us off with uh, a little bit yeah. of historical context here? And this time I get to start off with sort of good news. It's not like we're jumping into communism or you know, Vietnam war or something, um, or just civil rights strife. This is, uh, July 1st, 1966 Medicare officially began in the United States. One of president Johnson's most well-known and popular great society programs. Um, on the 12th retired Lieutenant Colonel William H. Whalen was arrested by the FBI at, at his home in Alexandria, Virginia, after being indicted for espionage for the Soviet Union. So right back to communism. Sorry. I was going to say, that's that's a very short streak of good news. <laughs> Whalen, the highest ranking American military man ever convicted of espionage, would plead guilty to having sold secrets for $3,500. So uh, <laughs> the dude got like, I guess that's probably like half of the new car or something, maybe a brand new car amount of money in 1966 yeah. to uh, commit treason. Um, cool. Thanks, man. Uh, so Waylon would be paroled in 1973 after serving six years of a federal prison sentence. So I don't know. That doesn't seem worth it to me. But uh, and I'm not like a super patriot, but I, I'm going to want more than thirty five hundred dollars for treason. Just just so you know, if anybody's listening. Yeah. You know, I've got I mean, a price. Do you want to throw out a figure <laughs> just in case anyone's up there? To <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm going to go for uh, I'm going to go for two mil and up uh, okay. because I, I need to be able to run away like McAfee to some weird island or something. You know, I'll do light treason for 100 K. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is exactly. I, I think it's an arrested development joke. So there. I yeah. feel like it. Yeah. I feel like it's just being a Democrat in 2020. Yeah. Oh. Hey, zing, topical. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, that was stupid. Uh, uh, I'm going to continue our downward slide into awful news um, okay. with uh, this is gruesome. Uh, on the 14th of July, uh, 1966, Richard Speck forced his way into a nurse's dormitory. Oh that served the nearby South Chicago Community Hospital and tied up and then strangled eight of the nine student nurses who lived there, including three who arrived while the crime was in progress. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Richard so, Speck was a bad dude. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a 
pretty bold position to take. Noah, are you <laughs> sure you don't want to walk that back a little bit? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, there was interviews with him in the like eighties and I think even the nineties where, um, he, uh, he had a sex change in prison and, um, he had this really inflammatory interview where he said, well, what a great time he was having in prison, um, where he could do drugs and have sex and that prison basically rocked. Uh, and <laughs> wow. it was used as a lot of propaganda about <clears throat> prison reform and uh, how we shouldn't wild. do that. Uh, yeah, he was a bad guy. Honestly, the only reason I threw this news story in is because I was hoping to just get a little bit of that sweet, sweet true crime listenership. <laughs> um, but Before all the, the real podcast money's at. Yeah, yeah I, I'm just hoping that I have now an excuse to put, you know, Richard Speck into the tags for the episode. And <laughs> we'll get like 6,000 more listeners out of it. So. Oh, man. Pandering is such a weird thing. Um, so on the 18th of July... The Huff riots broke out on the east side of Cleveland, Ohio, marking the city's first race riot. The triggering event had reportedly been an argument at a tavern where patrons began complaining about a sign that ice water would not be provided for free during the heat wave. <laughs> when police responded, the disorder spilled from the tavern and into the streets and 300 of the Cleveland police moved in. PSA, whenever you read the words race riot, remember that usually means a severe and disproportionate response by mostly white law enforcement against mostly non-white people who had been held down by poverty and racism. Just the yeah. more you know. Ding. It's worth mentioning that this month uh, in American history was also there's a crazy heat wave that went through the entire country or I think the middle of the country. Um, so it's very appropriate that we're recording this episode uh, in the middle of Portland's little heat wave that's going on right now. Uh, I'm going to uh, change gears and talk about the space race um, now because uh, cool. this is a pretty big month for the space race um, in uh, not just America, but in the entire world uh, on the 15th of July. 1966, China moved to the next step in its space program with the launch of a dog into outer space. Uh, the male dog, whose name was Xiao Bao, was sent up inside a T-7AS2 rocket, reaching an altitude of 115 kilometers. Um, and I will not, I made a pledge that I will not share news about launching dogs into orbit unless they come back safely. Uh, so after the capsule returned to Earth, the dog's handler brought out Xiao Bao alive and well. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and then three days later, uh, on the 18th, uh, Gemini 10 with John Young and Michael Collins was launched from Cape Kennedy, which Magneto took over. Uh, <laughs> after docking uh, with the orbiting Agenta target vehicle, the astronauts then boosted the linked craft into a higher orbit, reaching an unprecedented altitude of 474 miles above the Earth, beating the previous Soviet record of 308 miles. Take that, commies. And Zhao Bao just went. 71 miles so they're way above you know china's dog launching projects yeah yeah the u.s reached a higher altitude than china and the soviet union put together so usa i lost my mind already. yeah well it, it the the heat's already getting to you um <laughs> uh, and then finally on the 21st of july in geneva switzerland the united states and the soviet union agreed to a treaty article that would ban any nation from claiming sovereignty over any portion of outer space including the moon and the planets, which sounds promising. Um, we'll see if, you know, by the time we can actually get up there and, you know, establish space bases, if anyone actually cares about that treaty. But Yeah, if we can skim some gas out of the Venus's atmosphere, I think yeah. it's going to be a big old fight. 
But yeah. I mean, maybe it won't be, it'll just be, you know, international conglomerates. So they will represent more nations. See? Problem yeah. solved. I don't know why I'm so, so commentary laden today, but I guess that's how it is. It's the heat stroke. <laughs> uh, so let's get to pop culture. Um, on the 2nd of July, 1966, the Beatles, a little band I like, uh, became the first musical group to perform at the Nippon Budokan Hall in Tokyo. The performance ignited protests from local citizens who felt that it was inappropriate for a rock and roll band to play at Budokan. Uh, it it might be that that is there. They might have a point. Depends on how Didn't you feel. Bands like Laws Rocket and like other heavy metal bands and stuff play there years later. later. Yeah, and uh, but this was the first rock thing there. So like, uh, a Cheap Trick has their their famous like live version of "Want Want You to Want Me" is is from that hall. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. That's later. We'll get to that in another. I don't know. <laughs> three years, of years. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, on the 5th of of july 1966 on their way back home after their asian concert tour the beatles arrived in india for the first time after having experimented with indian instruments uh, such as the sitar earlier in the day they had been permitted to depart the philippines where they had faced a hostile reception from the government and the public so the philippines were not uh as big of fans of uh, of the Beatles as the rest of the world. Beatlemania not running wild in the Philippines. Ooh, nope. Yeah. On uh, the 16th of July, 1966, Bob Dylan released his new album, Blonde on Blonde on Columbia Records. Um, on the 29th of July, Bob Dylan was injured in a motorcycle accident near his home in Woodstock, New York. He would not be seen in public again for over a year. That's, that's like kind of taken his, PR, you know, shine down to be out of the limelight. Uh, a biographer would note later for the best part of 12 months, very few people knew what Dylan was doing, whether he was permanently crippled or if he would ever record again. Tragically, he would. <laughs> I, I mean, I love his songs when I read them. Mm-hmm. I, I should say. I like his songs when other people do them. Yeah. Yeah. I just, mm-hmm. it, it has always been a voice thing. Um, on the 31st of July, Dean Cain the worst person to play Superman in television or movies was born in Mount Clemens, Michigan. That's pop culture. Back to you, Brian. I'll close us out with some Vietnam news uh, just to continue the, the downward spiral. Um, So on the 6th of July, the Hanoi March was conducted with 52 American prisoners of war forced to walk for two miles through the streets of the capital of North Vietnam to be shown off before tens of thousands of North Vietnamese civilians Uh, And then on the 15th of July, despite worldwide condemnation by the governments of its allies, the United States increased its bombing attacks on North Vietnam, flying 121 bombing missions in one day, uh, the most ever since the war began uh, against North Vietnamese targets. That's just stop it, right? We should be done after that. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, we've only got like seven more years of this. So, you know, don't (sighs) worry about it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so on that uh, upbeat note, uh, let's go ahead and take our first break. Um, and then uh, when we come back, we'll uh, talk a little bit about Amazing Spider-Man number 41 here on Marvel by the Month. Okay. 
Okay, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Uh, we're going to talk about Amazing Spider-Man number 41, which was written by Stan Lee with art by John Romita and inked by Mickey DeMeo, who is Mike Esposito working under a pen name. Uh, the story is called The Horns of the Rhino. Um, and what happens in this issue? Well, um, Spider-Man fights the rhino for the very first time. And then also uh, we have J. Jonah Jameson's son, astronaut John Jameson, uh, reappearing for the first time since Spidey saved his life in Amazing Spider-Man number one. And uh, just to round it all out, uh, Peter Parker buys a motorcycle because he's a bad boy. <laughs> um, Rob, what did you think of this one? Uh, I I thought it was pretty good. I was re- I was one just happy to see the rhino. He's I don't know why he's just like he's a lot smarter in this issue than he is later in the Marvel universe. He that's setting a very low bar. Yeah. I mean, this makes sense. He has had a number of head injuries since, <laughs> uh, true. since this issue. So his sentence structure is broken down a little bit more, but, um, he's a ridiculous looking, um, he just, it looks like somebody really tried to make a rhino decoy and and then the sort of mouth area is the face of of the guy in the suit so it's just it's it, it does seem very ditko like it's just so ridiculous uh it's but really it cheesy works. yeah it doesn't yeah. it seems like you would have almost no dexterity in that suit and you it, I, also they don't really explain uh if it's a suit or what the deal is with it in fact they're like kind of it's it's mysterious. No, we we learn almost nothing about him. Like, uh, he, he's he's just a guy who shows up and then starts hitting things with his head, uh, dressed in gray footy pajamas with a rhino horn on his head. It says an event is transpiring many miles away at our southernmost border, uh, and it's the rhino like running by a cactus is where we first see him. So we're like, <laughs> he's in he's in like a desert. Uh, and, and that's where they introduce him. They don't really get into any of his origin. They just sort of rhino doing stuff, breaking stuff, being fairly indestructible. Yeah. And this is the first new Spidey villain, um, that we've been introduced to that Steve Ditko didn't have a hand in creating. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think he's, he's got a very interesting look. It's, I can't tell if it's a super lazy design or if it's a really clever design. Um, <laughs> but it is like the Rhino is one, kind of one of my favorite Spidey villains. Uh, like, you know, just continuing the whole animal theme of like, you know, vulture and lizard and scorpion, Doc Ock, even Doc yeah. Ock. Yeah. And I also like the fact that he's got like tiny little, like squinty rhino eyes on his rhino costume. And then he's got tiny little squinty eyes himself. So like he actually looks half like a rhino. Um, Just the eyes on the costume is seems super weird. And they look like a real rhino's eye. It's not like they look like a, you know, an amusement park costume. It's like, it looks like he's trying to be disguised as a rhino to like, I don't know, do some bizarre nature documentary. Like sneak in among the rhinos and get the real info. He's, <laughs> well, I mean, he also, the feet. That's the thing he, Noah was saying. It's I know like, the the feet. Is, it's like doesn't make any. There are actual rhino feet on it, and uh, I I just don't understand how you'd have any dexterity. And also, his face has that classic like uh, thug drawing, like a henchman uh, with the beady eyes face, and the yeah. and the yeah the, the flat nose. Uh, so I'm I'm just trying to figure out uh, with that face. Uh, like a henchman's face. <laughs> did he 
did he make this costume? Also, was he bit by a radioactive rhinoceros or something? Uh, <laughs> I mean, we could be. As far we know nothing about his origin, so as far as we know, he may have just like hollowed out a rhino and started wearing its skin. <laughs> like <laughs> the rhino is just like a, a force of nature. Like it, it is Hulk. Like it's like I don't know the rhino's here, so the building's gonna fall down. Whatever you know, it's just like a tornado. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, the 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 rhino isn't a very grandiose villain either. He's doing the stuff like, uh, like we had talked about a while back. Um, a lot of these guys, when they realize that they could become a villain, they just drop whatever it is that they are all interested in and what their career was. And they're like, now I could rob every bank in the country. You know, their, their <laughs> aspirations are really weird. And, uh, they're like, I could break into any vault. It was like, what the hell? Uh, and then there's the other guys that are like world domination or like, I feel like I've been embarrassed by these guys, so I should kick their butts. Yeah. Uh, but his motivations in this are pretty stupid. Uh, and, and Rob, what is the rhino here to do? Um, other than just, you know, trample things and knock things over. Uh, he is here to uh, kidnap. J- uh, can't remember what. <laughs> Uh, John astronaut Jameson. John Jameson. Yeah, I've there somebody with a bunch of J's in their name. Um, John Jameson, the astronaut, um, be to try to like steal his, you know, secrets for his, you know, NASA and military knowledge, um, or hold him hostage. Or he was remember. he was infected by spores on one of his secret missions, space spores, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He he was doing a a spacewalk and. He got a bunch of uh, spores on him. And, then- and uh, they don't know. Uh, it appears that the spores have become inactive, uh, but the U.S. government has these weird uh, men in black, like these feds that follow him around to keep him safe because we're worried that like uh, those Eastern European nations might try to kidnap him and uh, figure out wh- what makes those spores tick or if they could be used for something or if this might uh, give him some kind of special powers or something. Uh, so they established that and now the i guess the rhino's showing up to sell them to the highest bidder uh, yeah and you know it's they're like chekhov space spores uh, they're introduced in the first issue so you know that by the next issue those spores are going to pay off somehow <laughs> also uh, also uh he was exposed to these space spores on a secret mission uh they kept him quarantined for a while and now he's like uh oh it's declassified dad so i can like tell you all about it uh and i feel like <laughs> would they declassify that like so soon when they're so worried about a like some nefarious like communist country like trying to sc- scoop him up and uh vivisect him or whatever uh, yeah. <laughs> well yeah i the the fact that they've they've assigned two g men to him to protect him but it's they're fine with him just telling his dad all about these spores. Yeah. Like every little detail. So, uh, who runs a newspaper, right? Yeah. You know, right. So. <laughs> God, he's such a dickhead. That guy is yeah. like, uh, yeah. Uh, well, it, it, maybe, maybe they're okay with him talking to his dad because it's obvious that like Jonah just doesn't listen to anything that his son has to say. Because he just keeps ranting and ranting about how much he hates Spider-Man. And John's like, yeah, but he did save my life. He's like, oh, he that was a publicity stunt. He probably <laughs> put your life in jeopardy. To, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, the reason why I was a little blank on what was the motivations of the rhino were is they're, they're like a good one. There's rhino doing rampaging stuff without Spider-Man, let's say for three pages of this issue. Then there's yep. like eight pages, uh, eight page, like seven straight of rhino spider-man fighting so uh i was like i don't i just remember a lot of fighting and 
sort of putting over the rhino to understand, you know, how strong he is, uh, what his weakness might be, all that kind of stuff. Like Spider-Man has a pretty hard time taking him down and the rhino can take like a full Spider-Man punch and just sort of shake his head. So, uh, so much of the issue was dedicated to making sure we understood the rhino's, uh, general might, anger and destructive capabilities. And I do like Spidey's strategy for defeating the rhino. It's basically, he just waits for him to get very, very tired. Rope a dope. Fall over. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) He's just like, keep crashing into things, jerk. (laughs) Classic heavyweight boxing, uh, technique there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so, so by the end of the story, you know, Rhino's passed out. Um, so that concludes the super villainy part of the thing, but there's a bunch of little, uh, subplots going on too. Um, Betty Brant gets back into the story. Yeah. Um, it's like Stan just wrapped everything up. Steve's gone and Stan's like, Betty's back. She's going with yep. Ned. Everybody's fine. Um, yep. everybody's cool with it. That's done. <laughs> it just seems like that simple. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, because it takes what, like a page and a half for them to realize it's like, oh, we don't really have anything in common anymore. Yep. And then like Ned Lead shows up and Peter's relieved that he doesn't have to come up with an elegant way or a a, you know, a way to let her down easy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh, yeah, obviously we have nothing in common. So. And then Peter's so stoked he's got a motorcycle. He. uh oh Boy, yeah. He goes and is like actually nice to everyone at, at college including Gwen Stacy. So he's not like the normal jerk. He's actually kind of cocky now that he's, you know, a bad boy with his motorbike. Yeah. And, and Gwen is all about it. Like she's very <laughs> interested in Peter. I mean, a, now that he's you know actually acknowledging her existence. So negging works, um, <laughs> apparently. And yeah. And she sees him, you know, riding this motorcycle. It's like, wow. Like there's a lot what more a going stud. on. Yeah. It's not a Harley. Let's get this out of the way right now. Like oh, no. uh, for people who can't see this, it's it's like a a little bit cooler looking than a moped. Yeah, um, it is just a little and, bit. <clears throat> you know, like a moped type of motorcycle brand new in 2020 is only a few thousand dollars. Um, but he uh he can't afford this bike. Uh and so he has to call instead of calling his aunt. Uh, he calls Jonah Jameson to be a reference because I guess that's how they did loans back then. It's just like a personal reference. Like, yeah, I can vouch for that guy. And they're like, all right, we'll lend him money and put him on a payment plan. Uh, so he calls Jonah Jameson while he's talking to his uh, space hero son. And he's like, uh, you know, you called the wrong guy. There's no way I'm going to vouch for you, even though like every big story that breaks in my newspaper is because of your photos. And then he decides, <laughs> oh, Hold up, though. If I do vouch for him and he gets this motorcycle, he'll be in he'll be deep in debt. Uh, and that way I can exploit him by having oh, paying him a lot less because he'll need the money so bad. So uh, he's just a total scumbag. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, also, um, he's just thinking to himself what a what a great guy he is for doing this and that he never gets any thanks, even though yep. his last thought before that is that uh, come to think of it, if he has debt to pay off. Uh, he'd have to sell me more pictures and I can buy them cheaper than ever from him. Uh, and he's got the sleazy grin on his face. Uh, he's a really bad person. You know, uh, yeah. You know, and all the movies they remake, he's just kind of like a, a fast talking, like a stern guy, but in the comic, he's just a, a really bad person. 
I, I think it's kind of funny because we've seen in a couple places um, that apparently uh, Steve Ditko created J. Jonah Jameson as basically his commentary on what it was like to work for Stan Lee. Is that right? Yeah, apparently. Um, I, and I find it funny that Ditko's off the book now. So S- Stan is writing this. And I don't know if Stan's in on that. <laughs> yeah. Stan's know, still like, making J, maybe even making him worse than Ditko. Yeah. Not realizing it's a, just a metaphor for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah it, 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 I mean, it really, if, in, if he is on the joke, then he's saying the quiet part out loud because this is basically exactly the situation that Jack Kirby was in when he was working for Marvel Comics. Like he had to be producing something like four or five books a month for Marvel because he had lost this legal case uh, in the late 50s, early 60s. And he had something like $45,000 to repay. And he couldn't work for DC Comics because the person who had sued him was an editor at DC Comics. So he could only work at Marvel. And so, and he couldn't Jesus. leave Marvel. So, so this like, is literally that. This is literally so, yes. the Kirby situation. Uh, he says, yeah. um, so he's like telling Peter Parker, like, you're an idiot to call me up asking. All he has to do is just vouch for him. But he yeah. doesn't have, he, there's not even a, a monetary uh, thing he's tied to there. No, he's not co anything. But then he discover, he, then he thinks to himself, like, I, I can exploit Peter Parker if I vouch for him here. And then he says, I'll tell you what, Parker, even though everyone says I'm too generous uh, for my own good, I'll do it for you. And then the next thing he said is, the trouble with me is I'm too soft-hearted. I'm always doing favors for everybody. Uh, I'm just a big bundle of good-natured jelly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what he says out loud to his son. Uh yeah, a, yeah, it's a. Uh, we just had last month uh, Norman Osborn as the Green Goblin, uh, actually projecting his version of events so that people you know, with some mind projector <laughs> thing, uh, and just to show how distorted his view was. But now I'm just thinking about how distorted Steve Ditko's view of Stan Lee is. But then how Stan is so not getting the joke that yeah. He's making it even worse and adding in like little elements that make it even more <laughs> relatable to the actual Marvel situation. It's uh, like maybe it's, 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 it's why it's so easy for him to write that character. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Uh, so that's that's basically uh, our Spider-Man issue this month. Um, yeah. Uh, let's go ahead, uh, take a quick break. Um, and uh, when we come back, we'll find out what the Avengers are up to here on Marvel by the Month. Hey, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Uh, Let's get into Avengers number 32, written by Stan Lee, art by Don Heck. Uh, This is called The Sign of the Serpent. Goliath, uh, you know, our friend, Hank Pym, who is stuck at his 10 foot height, enlists the help of Bill Foster to try and find a way to restore himself to normal. Meanwhile, a xenophobic group called the Sons of the Serpent is going around town beating up immigrants and other racial and ethnic minorities. After they beat Bill Foster, uh, who is helping Goliath, Goliath rallies the Avengers to take them on. But the issue ends with a cliffhanger where Goliath tells Hawkeye to pretend like the Avengers are considering whether or not the Sons of the Serpent might be right. Yeah. Weird cliffhanger. (laughs) I'm just going to start at the end and say, like, I mean, obviously 
they so the sons of the serpent are basically the kkk right i mean that's that's where this whole thing is going like they're yeah. so explicitly like hateful and they um, leave like a marker on your lawn so that they yeah. you know they just it, everything about what they do is the kkk yeah 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 and we and we should mention that uh bill foster is a black character he's actually um i think only the third black character that marvel has introduced so far um so that's why they beat him up they just like see him in a park and and beat the crap out of him and he shows up as a again it's sort of like not there's no special discussion about his skin color among anyone Uh, right henry pym's looking for somebody that's a biogeneticist scientist guy uh biochemist maybe um and he calls tony stark and tony stark has somebody who works for stark in industries he's like this is the guy you need and that's it they there's no special mention but then we realize that you know we are all very aware of what his skin color is once the serpents show up and in their you know masks and beat the crap out of him and i feel like this is a very i was gonna say 1960s kind of white liberal perspective but i think it honestly up until like maybe six months ago (laughs) this would have been the perspective where it's like if you're a good white person you don't even see color like no one comments on color you know but it's like and if you do comment on it it's negatively and you're a bad person so and i'm not gonna judge stan for that because like i think literally every other white american was in that boat for decades so um, yeah that's still progressive as we talked about when the black panther debuted but yeah it's uh like this is the this is a pretty big political stance like this whole issue is the avengers deciding to fight the kkk you know that's the story uh which is cool i was excited about that it made the avengers more interesting than usual um for Mm me did you notice that um when the the sons of the serpent are talking about their aims so they talk really explicitly uh speaking out against foreigners um and people who weren't born here um but their hatred of other groups is just sort of implied um, yeah. which just makes me think it's like maybe at the time in America everyone agreed you shouldn't hate people because of where they come from but you know <laughs> believing that you should treat certain people differently as long as they're all americans like well that's something we can have differences of opinion on right we're gonna set that one aside for now yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well the first guy they beat up is uh i'm looking for it here i think his name's garcia i think he's yeah. supposed to be like a mexican guy uh there and and they and the serpents say uh, we'll leave this serpent sign as a warning to any other foreigners. There's their little burning cross thing. Yeah. And then he's also preaching to a bunch of white dudes uh, about like anybody who wears these robes uh, will be the master of all. And then somebody in the crowd's like, "That's for me. Once you become a serpent, there's nobody you can't push around." <laughs> so uh, they're all just real pretty bad people and uh well garcia is getting beaten up there is a white couple who's like looking on from their window and they're like oh this is terrible maybe we should do something no let's not get involved um so you know stan's calling out the bystanders too yeah so. they're too dangerous the serpents silence are too dangerous. is violence yeah. uh, so you know and there's nothing there's nothing subtle about this you know no uh, also uh, on the next page there's uh him in his classic insane misogyny uh <laughs> yes uh 
his uh, wasp, whatever her name is, is trying to help him out. But he accidentally elbows her in the face. It's the first time, but not the last time Henry Pym will hit Janet Van right. yeah. And I yeah. just remember uh, in the in the Ultimate Avengers, yes. that first issue uh, is really crazy uh, violence against her. But um, yeah, he he hits her in the face, but she says uh, she's all right. But all, all that happened was a broken beaker. And uh, he's like, I keep tripping over you. And he's and he's furious, uh, even though he bashed her and he doesn't apologize. He's like, I uh, didn't see you there at my elbow. Anyway, uh, she's like, you need an assistant. He says, sure, I do. And I'll get one, a top notch scientist, not a chattering female. Yep. Uh, and uh, she's her response is out loud. If I didn't love you so much, I'd utterly despise you. And she slams the door. And he just is like, what's her problem? Uh, so. <laughs> so you can get why uh, somebody could have easily extrapolated that kind of uh, p- the the later version of, you know, Henry Pym. Uh, yeah, he's just a real dick. He's uh, always, also, he's, yeah. uh, is he's like 10 feet tall or whatever. So I'm assuming like catching an yeah. elbow from that guy is uh, probably painful. And she's willing to just like let that slide. So because she loves yeah. him so much, man. Yeah, she's wrong, um, but whatever. Yep. Um, Stan tries to redeem him by having him be like the primary motivating force to go after the sons. It's like the Avengers weren't even focusing on the sons of the serpent until Bill Foster gets beaten up. Yeah. Um, and even then, and they're then, like, shouldn't like the police just be dealing with yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Even, yeah, yeah. Even then, they're like, this isn't really like it's just racism. It's not something <laughs> that we need to worry ourselves with. Uh, even though these guys are like bent on like global like they're nazis basically they don't yeah. they're not just like the kkk they want to like organize and like take over the whole country uh and i'm assuming by proxy the world so they finally uh when it affects them <laughs> they finally decide it is a problem yes uh, yep it, but um, i could not remember something i mean explicitly like this i know hydra you know based on sort of nazi science in but this uh this is just them like Stan writing the Avengers dealing with white supremacy. And uh yeah. that's a and it resonated pretty well with me for some reason in this day and age. Um mm, yeah. <laughs> I wonder what could have prompted that. <laughs> yeah. Uh you know the the problem with bad guys in general is they look cool. <laughs> uh you know like uh Lemmy from Motorhead's been attacked for wearing like Nazi uh yeah like the iron cross and stuff yeah yeah uh and his response is like the nazis but uh they had the coolest uniforms so that's <laughs> yeah. why we're, it's like uh, you know the argument doesn't really <laughs> hold a lot of water but um bad guys i i feel like in real life and in uh in, in fiction always look pretty cool so they do have that going for them. Yep. Um, I, and I'm a sucker for a snake themed villain. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I was a big GI Joe fan when I was a kid and I right. always loved Cobra. Um, you can't really go wrong with that, that aesthetic. Yeah. Put more serpents on it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's obviously what one of the henchmen must've said. When he, he asked for it. Uh, what, what do you think I should do with this costume here? So yeah, they are badass looking. It's just unfortunate that they're pretty bad dudes. Yeah. So, uh, and what else happens in this, uh, issue? We've got, uh, Hawkeye and black widow have a developing romance. Um, so she's kind of, I mean, when she first showed up, she was kind of like a Matahari character and like, 
seduced Hawkeye into attacking Iron Man for her. But like since then, she's become more of a good guy and he is, you know, an Avenger now. Um, and, uh, and she's also like a full on adventure, like getting closer to, you know, the, the black widow that we know from the, the movies and stuff like that. But, um, it's interesting to see that kind of character development and like workshopping that character, her costumes evolving. Um, yeah. I think we get like three panels dedicated to Quicksilver and the Scarlet witch back in their, uh, I don't know if it's a named Eastern European country, but yeah, I think um, it's just generic Eastern Europeanville. Uh, but they are, they, their powers were mysteriously waning. Now they may be restored. Uh, I think they just got like a vitamin shot or something. So I'm interested. And now I'm like, I want them back. I want also, we never think about that with normal modern Marvel stuff that they are, they, they would have like, an accent, an exotic accent and be mm-hmm. obviously not Americans. Right, um, right. You know, uh, so I feel like that would be, that would be a cool thing to add to that team. Um, uh, and especially in this context, when we're already dealing with these immigrant fearing racist buttholes. Yep. I, yeah, I was kind of surprised that they didn't get widow in there too, because, you know, she's obviously Russian. So, but I, I think Stan really wanted to, to do a specifically like, you know, anti-black violence story um, to the degree that he was able to get away with um, in 66. So yeah, uh, Captain America, they decide that they need S.H.I.E.L.D.'s help, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cap goes and gets ambushed by the serpents and then held hostage. Uh, And then there's an ultimatum. Oh yeah, they... uh, they they steal they kidnap Cap and then they put that um, their version of a burning cross the little serpent left leave behind that has a tape recorder inside it, it has a <laughs> message for them uh, and while they're listening to the message for some reason the, oh I just wanted to say that these comics are dense with copy there is so much dialogue I opened these up and I was like oh my god I got to read all this there is a lot going on but also. You know, you'd think that this copy, all this extra narrative is driving the plot, but really they're saying shit out loud that is so stupid uh, and not <laughs> worth saying. Uh, you know, they leave behind this this artifact uh, that basically says Captain America is our prisoner unless you do exactly as you're told, yada, yada, yada. And while they're listening to it, they're like, listen, it must have a tape recorder inside. Who cares? Like, they're saying that out loud. Like, uh, they're their buddy is kidnapped by this like a terrorist organization and they're like it must have a tape recorder inside of that thing that i feel like you know you could have cleaned these panels up a little bit (laughs) it's uh there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of stuff that's being said and you know i've said it before one of my complaints is like these guys say a lot of stuff out loud they're alone in their lab and they're just chatting away i i actually thought about how much do i talk when I'm alone and it's not very much <laughs> these guys, like they're alone in a lab and they're like, they're hashing out all the stuff that happened in the day uh, out loud to themselves. <laughs> Peter Parker basically gets his secret identity discovered by Norman Osborn because he's walking around talking to himself out loud uh, oh my and God. saying his own name. Yeah. And that's <laughs> what, uh, the flame did right. Uh, almost. Human torch. He almost yeah, signed human the torch, human torch. Yeah, yeah at the check. bank, yeah. right? Yeah. 
<laughs> what an idiot. Uh, uh, yeah. I was actually a little disappointed there wasn't a lot uh, more Human Torch because, um, although he, you know, he does show up here, but uh, as much as I dislike uh, Human Torch, I, I do, I do like uh, when he's a main character. He he's at college right now, so that's uh, that's why you're seeing less of him. So I don't think he graduates from college. I was just gonna say, like, does he really <laughs> need to go to school? It's like a kind of like a you know an athlete. That's right, um, right. That's like the top top tier athlete. Do they need like a you know bachelor's degree? And <laughs> he uh, saved the Earth from Galactus. Like, yeah, what, I feel like does like, he you need? Just, yeah, yeah, you could write a book and uh, and be fine. <laughs> right. You know, uh, Although it's Johnny Storm though, so he's gonna need some. Well, I mean, he can like, have someone write a book. I was gonna him. say, yeah, Trump wrote a book, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> he could do it. Uh, well. Uh, on that note, let's go ahead uh, and take another break. Um, and then uh, I would love to talk about what Thor is up to this month when we come back. Um, so stay tuned. We'll be right back here on Marvel by the Month. Okay, welcome back here to Marvel by the Month. Um, we are going to talk about Thor issue number 132, which came out in July of 1966. Um, this one is written by Stan Lee. The art is by Jack Kirby, inked by Vince Coletta. Uh, the main story is where gods may fear to tread. So here's what's happening. <laughs> um, the uh, Rigelians have attempted to claim Earth, uh, and Thor fights off their colonizers, uh, and he takes their ship back to their homeworld to continue whooping them. Uh, but the Rigelians are threatened by a mysterious danger from the Black Galaxy, which threatens Earth as well. Um, so the Grand Commissioner of the Rigelian Empire uh, basically gets Thor to stop destroying all of their stuff uh, by telling him that Earth is also in danger. And uh, Thor agrees to head to the Black Galaxy to find and confront the threat. And Rob, who is the threat? Ego, the living planet. Noah, we dropped you right into the middle of a storyline here with no context for what is happening before or what happens after. What <laughs> yeah. did you think of this issue? <laughs> well, we were just talking about this on the break. What's also funny is I didn't even think for a second that there was backstory to this. I, I just was like, <laughs> I, I just accepted wherever we're at. Um, they take care of the story pretty quickly. Like uh, the earth has some kind of like, shield that they put around it so they can colonize the earth it's very much threatened what is that called a lock a st like a stasis lock or something like that space lock i think space, space lock. lock. they say it like a hundred yes. times so yeah <laughs> yes. that, there it is it ha it's filled with killer spaceship jack kirby art um but does his is he speaking with a little bit more like of a flourish uh, yes in yeah. this He's, Jiminy he's Christmas. barely ever Don Blake now. He just thous. He's starting uh, to get a little more of those thousand these in here. Yeah, a little bit more, dude. <laughs> it's like incessant. Uh, and I actually thought like it gets worse as we go through. And I'll grab a couple as we go, uh, just to read some of these quotes out loud. Because uh, oh, like this. Um, so that right off the bat, there's this killer, weird ass spaceship that's that Jack Kirby drew that in some part of space, that doesn't make any sense. That's really cool. And uh, these aliens don't like him showing up to kick their butts. Uh, and 
So they're like, who the hell are you? And he's like, tis the son of Imperial Odin who stands thus before thee. My hammer doth shatter a son easily as a stone. <laughs> and he just continues on. <laughs> and if I were these aliens, I would like, I would just double down and try, like, we got to kick this dude's ass just for talking like this. <laughs> Uh, but of course they can't do anything against him. They, even though they have some pretty cool, uh, uh, weapons, what do they call them? Those robots, the indestructible, um, that's just a robot. Well, they've got this, uh, the, the individual robots, they, he throws his hammer and they actually are able to stop it from flying through the air. Um, and then they, uh, they crank the intensity's force to cremation level. Uh, that's what the <laughs> aliens say. Uh, but even that doesn't do it because uh, obviously his hammer is indestructible. Uh, and he kicks their butts. They're super bobbleheaded. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they I, look like they're, they're half human size with a big giant head. Um, yes. They look like giant babies. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of an yeah. uh, an to watcher thing, but yeah, um, super deformer. Yeah, now that you mention it, I I totally this is another one of those things where it I just forget I'm reading uh, his fancy speak. What I love is when there's like a a weird sci-fi reference in the middle of it because it just sounds like it sounds like Shakespearean science fiction for some reason, or not even yeah. Shakespearean. Shakespeare doesn't have this many thuses and these, but. Right. Uh, he says, I command thee to remove yon space lock from the planet Earth or <laughs> yeah, suffer well, my boundless that, wrath. What is going on? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, when the aliens realize that Thor is a badass and he's going to kick their butts, yep. they send out our indestructible. They don't. Yeah, that's what called it's called. Indestructible. <laughs> yep. TM. Uh, was, and for some reason, they didn't make it. I, I'm assuming they created the indestructible or our indestructible, uh, but they didn't make it in their image and likeness. It's, uh, it's more of a, a man. Yeah. This robot looks like dark side. Like it looks like the precursor. Oh, he totally does. To, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but green, all green. And they, uh, <laughs> I, the, so he shows up, I'm assuming Thor's not going to be killed by this thing. Um, but, uh, they made one critical mistake with this indestructible is they gave him a weapon that's the only thing that could destroy him. And so uh, <laughs> Thor did a version of why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Uh, by grabbing his arm and like firing the weapon into its into itself. Um, yeah. And so that was, I'm sure those aliens kind of, that indestructible 2.0 is going to be probably have a slightly weaker weapon. <laughs> Also, uh, they're going to run into some truth and advertising issues if they call it the indestructible and then it winds up getting destructed. Like yeah, there's going to be all the here. like, it's going to be like the side effects of a drug on the bottom of a commercial. It's just like, unless you are an Asgardian yeah. god or perhaps someone from one of these dimensions or a sorcerer supreme, on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. but so totally indestructible otherwise. He basically kicks this thing, the indestructible's ass in two pages. Oh, he just tears through everything. Like Thor is just on a rampage throughout this entire really issue. Is. And also he's destroying some serious tech. Like uh, I, I sort of had a problem with how much he was like vandalizing uh, <laughs> high tech stuff. Just yeah. that hammer. Uh, he's really doing a lot of damage. So yeah, he kicks the indestructible's ass and then the aliens are like, uh oh, like uh, he's a total badass. 
but while that all, all that stuff's happening, um, there's like a laser blast or something, a deadly beam from the Forbidden Galaxy that comes flying out of nowhere and blows up their badass spaceship. Yeah, that was weird. I, just turning the page from the end of that indestructible fight to seeing this just giant different spaceship getting totally blown up. Like and it's just, a it is a killer panel that takes up almost the whole page yeah. of a spaceship blowing up and it might be the best my my panel of the month here oh, but Oh man, I it's I already wrote it down man. You're going to have to get yourself well, another there's, panel. Uh, there's a there's a good uh Spider-Man that one that <laughs> is a little bit of a callback to uh your Sean Baby episode but Nice. I I I like uh the sound effect in this panel too. It's buiak. Yeah. yeah. That's the sound that an exploding ship that's being blasted with a ray from the black galaxies. That's the sound it makes. Is the artist the one who comes up with that? No, Stan would be the one who came up. Yeah. So Stan writes the every word you see on here is something that's in his script. Once he gets it back from the it, the art, the art back from the artist. So even Buyak is Stan. Because that, apparently that was one of the reasons that Steve Ditko like that drove Steve Ditko crazy is he, he hated Stan's sound effects. Like by the time Ditko left uh, Marvel, he was just so sick of everything that Stan was doing. Um, and I think it was mutual. Uh, I think Stan <laughs> was pretty sick of Steve too. I know so. there were a couple of fight scenes right before Ditko was done where it was m- multiple pages of a Spider-Man fight. And Stan was like, and we're just going to forego the sound effects on this one, which you yeah. know is just trying to like make Steve happy. Maybe. <laughs> Because he's like, you don't need to put everyone can understand that somebody's getting punched by the, you know, drawing. Uh, well, wouldn't that wouldn't that mean that they, they would have to cover up part of their drawing with Buyok? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm sure like an artist that spent time rendering part of the scene, having to cover it up with a kabooey. Uh, it's probably <laughs> yeah. annoying. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, when it's Buyok, uh I don't know. That there's- was a good. There's something yeah. about the weird they're they're starting to get these very unique sounds that are unique to that instance too that yeah. um that make me more imagine what I he- hear from you know the sound effects in movies and things now. So I'm like yeah. Boyock, that sounds right for getting hit by this, you know, black galaxy laser. Um and so when the 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 laser destroys the ship from the black galaxy, this is when um the what the What's his title? The Grand Commissioner of the Rogelian Empire. Um, he basically makes a truce with Thor. Um, and uh, he's like, can you go take care of this Black Galaxy thing? Um, so Thor is like, yeah, absolutely. And the Grand Commissioner is like, oh, I'm going to give you a recorder, too, so you can record this. Um, like which a is body like a, cam. Yeah, it's basically, yeah, it's it's like a body cam with a body attached to it. So it's like <laughs> well, he, also- he gets, it shows yeah. that this guy's like, even though Thor's a total badass, he's like, I'm going to put a camera on you because I know you're going to get just destroyed. And I want <laughs> in case you don't come back. Yeah. And so so they enter the Black Galaxy. And then on the last page of the story, um, we get our first glimpse of Ego, the living planet, um, which is just it's a Kirby collage. Um, and this is just the trippiest damn thing. Um, I think of anything we read this month. Yeah, this page is, it's a bizarre collage. He did one in Fantastic Four not too long ago where he had redrawn in the scene, like doing a spacewalk in front of some insanity. And I'm like, if you could just have the little figure of Thor or, you know, see them in the little ship or something, it somehow that would sell it more for me. <laughs> but uh, because otherwise it's just such a crazy departure from 
yeah. the, all of the flat things you've been seeing to get yeah. all of the shading. Um, but yeah, ego is just basically a, a, a white dude's face on some, you know, it looks like some bolts uh, or some weird. nuts more specifically. Uh, yeah. Um, like, a, like, a, is it like wasps nests around him? That's not easy to say. Kind wasps of. Yeah. It's nests. really weird. Like you yeah. need to probably see it or just do some crazy drugs to imagine what it is. Yeah. And then of course, ego shows up in the Marvel cinematic universe as Kurt Russell. Right. Which um, makes perfect sense. Cause his head is very large. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so another cliffhanger. Got to wait till next month. Yep. Yep. Um, and see how Thor. So Thor has like completely wrecked a space empire, but now he's up against a living planet. So um, and this is something, uh, man, who are we talking about? I, I think it might have been Tom Scioli, um when we were talking about the Galactus stuff where he was saying that. This is a period where like Kirby just kept raising the stakes and raising the stakes and raising the stakes in like everything he was doing. And then at a certain point they were like, we can't like, you basically had him fighting God. Right. And then you had him fight a planet. Like <laughs> we got to, we got to take this down a notch. Like there's nowhere else to go. Um, but he did give the planet a face to punch. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Very nice of him. Yes. It's Achilles face. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's Thor for this month. Um, we're going to take one more break, um, and then when we come back, uh, talking about punching faces, holy moly, there's a lot of that in Fantastic Four this month. <laughs> um, so uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, Fantastic Four number 55 here on Marvel by the Month. <laughs> Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Let's get into Fantastic Four number 55. Uh, written by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby with Joey Sinnott. Uh, <laughs> with Joe Sinnott <laughs> inking. Uh, 1966. Uh, when, this one is called When Strikes the Silver Surfer. The Silver Surfer is back and he decides to pay a visit to his only human friend, Alicia Masters. He's been uh, trapped on Earth since uh, Galactus took off. So unfortunately, Ben Grimm picked that exact same moment to drop in on her and he mistakes the surfer's attentions for romantic ambitions. So they fight and fight and fight and fight and fight until Reed finally talks some sense into Ben. But it, it, there's a lot of fighting. This is just like punch fest extraordinaire. Um, Yeah. So... (laughs) Ben is very insecure about his status with Alicia. That's like the whole, that's the crux of this. It's always his problem. Yeah, he, he totally is like, and he's been talking about this for, I mean, I feel like Stan's been ramping this up a little bit more in recent issues where, you know, Ben's like just kind of sulking around the Baxter building and he's like, Oh, you know, haven't heard from Alicia in a few days. And, Reed and Sue are like, well, why don't you call her dumbass? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, she's probably out with some other guy. It's like, why don't you call her? <laughs> so, um, like, yeah, it, I mean, it's all in Ben's head. We've never seen any uh, indication that Alicia is anything but 100% like in love with him and committed to him. Um, but like, he just cannot, he can't get it out of his head that he's a freak and a monster and 
what would someone like her be doing with someone like him? Um, and this is sort of like, this is the worst of all of it just coming together at the same time. Yeah. Not a good look for him. Not a good look at all. Um, yeah, just like generally, uh, this is, this is one of those things that I'm guessing has aged a lot worse than it was when it, it like it originally came out. Like this kind of behavior from a dude nowadays, like if you wrote a story like this, like he would literally be the monster in this situation. Like there's, there's no like lovable. It's like, Oh geez, he just feels bad about it. Yeah. You're totally right. You're a stalker. You're a stalker (laughs) and you suck and you're, you know, you're, yeah, he's a sick maniac in this. Uh, He shows up with no evidence. It's not like he walked in on her having sex. He, he just shows up and there happens to be whatever the silver surfer even is a God. I don't even know what he is like a, extraterrestrial yeah he's just standing there talking to her uh and even he overhears it through the walls and um he just loses it man uh but he does ride a cool motorcycle across town to get to (laughs) yeah he's got the Uh, it's too blammed hot to uh to go jet cycling around town uh but so he goes in just no clothes basically (laughs) so he shows up in his underwear pissed and he's ready to like kill someone so yeah he's Seems like right. a, he's like a monster in this. Seems like a totally feasible trailer park boys plot too at this point. You know, it's yes. just because he's wearing a suit in the scene right before this, uh he's wearing a suit with an ascot. Like a yes. uh, and then it because it's so hot outside, he decides to strip down to what looks like his boxer shorts uh <laughs> and get on a sky cycle or whatever to cruise across town. So he's like and he's just going to check on her, right? Like, because uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he called her and she didn't answer. So he's like losing his mind. And then he finds out from her landlord that she's gone to like some coastal getaway um, for a vacation. Uh, so then he'd like, this is like, well, fine. I'm going to follow her all the way out there too. And on a different note, I do love the intro of the Silver Surfer in this issue. Like there's this panel of, of these uh, mountain climbers, like, just saying they're going to be, they're all like discussing oh. how they're going to be the first to ever reach this summit. And they're, it, it like looks Everest like, or something. yeah, it's like insane. They're climbing these super dangerous climb and <laughs> they get over the top and it's just silver surfer standing there going, I'm getting pretty bored of earth. Um, uh, yep. Really wish I could leave earth. Uh, <laughs> well, this is the best earth has to offer. Huh? Yeah. yeah. And he's saying it all out loud as he usually, as everyone does. I've yeah. learned all there is to learn of the planet earth. He says out loud on the top of Everest. And it just totally <laughs> devastates these guys who are, who are like probably, you know, there's a good chance they might die uh, doing this thing. And they yeah. get up there and there's like a naked guy up on the top of the mountain with a surfboard. <laughs> a naked silver. uh yeah so so then he he checks in with alicia because again she's literally his only human friend uh on the planet um and this is when uh ben shows up he overhears alicia saying you sound so discouraged so disappointed but you mustn't be there's so much beauty so much goodness here on earth and the surfer is saying Somehow I can believe that when I gaze at you, when I hear your voice, oh, so gentle, yeah. so, so filled with kindness. That does make it okay. For yeah. To so then punch of course, him through a wall. Yeah. And that's literally what he does. He like punches him through the wall and like into the ocean. Um, and, well, and you know, but, here in his defense though, the dude's naked. I mean, 
Yeah, but it, like if you're going to be worried about, you know, someone making time with your ladies, like it, the surfer has no genitals. Like where is this going to go? Yeah. Like, and it's just lucky that it was the surfer and not like some like dude delivering uh, like a package or something because he would have just straight up killed a human being. <laughs> like, <laughs> he just he he hears someone talking. He smashes open the door and literally uh, punches the silver surfer through the wall and like hundreds of feet away from the house. Yeah. Yeah. He would have murdered a man. Uh, so he's just lucky. Oh, yeah. They're yeah, both in their underwear. Yeah. I think that surfer, <laughs> they do indicate sort of that he might have some kind of silver trunks on at sometimes. I don't know why. He was wearing boxer briefs when Galactus like spray painted him silver. And, <laughs> and then yeah. it's just uh, madness. Like just I was going to say, yeah, at that point we're on page seven. And then I think the fight lasts the entire comic. I think we yeah. take one page off to check in on Johnny and uh, and Wyatt who find maybe oh, two yeah. they find Lockjaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't even know if we know that till later. But um, yeah. And I don't even remember. <laughs> I thought we were done with the inhuman thing and they're like on their way home and yeah, they're still stuck in the great refuge. Uh, the inhumans are trapped in there. Um, and Johnny wants to bust him out because he's in love with crystal. Um, that's basically your, your inhumans check in for the month. And then um, back to punching and then back to punching and kicking. Um, and it's, and it's, it's crazy. Like Ben is also, not only is he like completely in the wrong and totally insecure, he's also entirely outclassed by the surfer like it, it, at any point if the surfer wanted to just end him he it's clear that he could um and but ben is just like he's too dumb and too angry to take a hint <laughs> that's pretty much the story that is the repeating story is like he's just ben doubling down on dumb <laughs> like every yeah. other page <laughs> and the amount of property damage that takes place they go to the uh, he leads them to the warehouse district because at least they won't kill as many people and probably only kill <laughs> some like whatever uh, guys like loading pallets or something. So they, um, he, he said like he thinks to himself, you know, I'll take them over to the warehouse district. That way it'll be like less dangerous for me to like destroy half of a city block. But he knocks an entire building over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he destroys that badass motorcycle that flies. Um, and blames the silver surfer for it. Uh, and then he tries to break the silver surfer's surfboard uh, and can't because he's uh, <laughs> like not as badass one. as he thinks. Uh, I, I like the one where uh, surfer, after a bunch of fighting, surfer's like, uh, but I perceive that you shall never surrender. Therefore, I must take extreme measures. I must increase my energy to atomic strength. And uh yeah. And then he says, now even you would not dare attack me. And of course, the Wrong. thing who's getting up off the ground from the last time he got punched down is like, don't bet on it, kiddo. Gets up <laughs> and there ain't nothing I won't tackle where Alicia's concerned. Actually not uh, in danger to Alicia. And then he punches the atomic energy and gets like his fist fried. Um, yeah. He's just, and that's it. Like constantly gets knocked down, gets up like an idiot and continues to be just like male rage, you know, like, uh, yeah. And he, uh, he tips an entire, what looks like a four or five story building tips it over 
they at least the window the the windows are boarded up on the building. Yes. I think to imply that it's not like an apartment building. Uh, right. I mean, there's I mean, probably just the some squatters there. Exactly. You know, the homeless, homeless they're about people to die. And, yeah. They're not uh, paying and, taxes, so you know, what, a warehouse know. district. As far as I know, usually there's people working in a warehouse district, but <laughs> he just tips an entire building over onto the Silver Surfer. All this because, yeah, the perceived slight of talking to his girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, and the only the only reason that Ben finally calms down is because since they came back to the city um, and they're tearing up the warehouse district, Reed and Sue show up and they're like, Ben, what are you doing? And <laughs> we stopped uh, our honeymoon again because yeah, this is yeah. the second interruption to their honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, uh, and in fact, the the honeymoon at the beginning, they uh, if I remember correctly, they had to like pause their honeymoon. Oh yeah, he says all security units register positive, honey. No attacks have been made in our absence, and then it's like now we can continue our honeymoon. <laughs> what a shitty <laughs> honeymoon. Well, he's not a great husband, so <laughs> no. Um, that's also kind of been established. Um, uh, but so finally, like Reed and Sue, specifically Reed, um, manages to to talk Ben off the ledge and um, and they uh, they get him to uh, apologize to the They get him to realize that he is in the wrong. They get him to apologize to the Silver Surfer and the Surfer's like, please, it doesn't matter. Like, just you know, whatever. I'm a god. Man. I don't care at all. This doesn't affect me. <laughs> like, yeah, it, and then he magics up some flowers for Ben to give to Alicia. Um, fixes yeah, the and, bike. Yeah, yeah, fixes and he the fixes motorcycle. the bike. Yeah. yeah, and so like, which all this is great. I think it also leaves open the interpretation that maybe the Silver Surfer's intentions aren't as pure as they actually seem, and this is all just total passive aggressiveness it's like maybe he knows exactly what he's doing he baited this thing into happening i mean he's got he's got cosmic awareness he knew ben was downstairs when he was saying what he was saying to alicia <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like yeah oh here's some flowers why don't you give them to your girlfriend tell her they're for me yeah go ahead and give those those five flowers to your girlfriend all right uh, we're square here yeah it does, i guess that that's a pretty good rom-com villain then you start to then you could maybe for one second, apologize, you know, uh, forgive Ben being such a total, just whatever roid raging douchebag the whole time, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't trust the surfer. I'm just going to put that out there. I also, yeah. it, Ben is a monster. Don't get me wrong. Like Ben is in the wrong here, but I also think the silver surfer is, I think he's like, a, Hey, why are you mad, bro? But in Ben's <laughs> defense, he is very ugly. Um, <laughs> and I understand why he's insecure. He's also seems very like uh stupid. Like he's got, maybe it's not, he has a low IQ. Um, he's dating a blind chick, uh, which I feel like is uh, that too is a little like questionable. Just, uh, <laughs> But I feel like, you know, you, you know, like a blind person will like touch a person's face. Mm -hmm. Like if you touch his face and it feels like, you know, craggy granite. Uh, I feel like, you, you know, you've got the perfect girlfriend. Yeah. She can't <laughs> see you. And she's felt enough of you to be like, eh, whatever. That's fine with me. She's she's like way into your skin condition. Like, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, she thinks that she's a sculptor. She makes statues. Yeah. It's like you got a boyfriend who's a living statue. This is great. She likes all texture, not like the smoothness of the silver surfer. Um, I yep. think maybe she can appreciate that, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I did just to put a bow on this one. I read the whole letters page of this one because they've been including more of those. And just to summarize, there were a few notes about people saying, hey, Stan, could you make Reed not such a jerk to sue? Like that happened a number of times. So in 1966, it's not just us from from our future perspective. There were people going, he's kind of a jerk. You know, you could kind of tone that down, maybe have her be have some agency. They didn't use that word specifically, but uh, right. there's there's hints that even the uh, flower children uh, who are about to blossom were getting yeah. the getting that same like. He's kind of misogynistically uh, bad. Let's just say. Yeah. The, yeah. the audience might might be a little more progressive than the, yeah. the writers. There's That's also, uh, I did read the uh, letters of this too. And there's a, um, <laughs> there's a, some kid's theory on uh, how Human Torch uh, power works. Uh, <laughs> and the... The response in the in this comic is the last sentence of your letter is the only one we can really understand, Jimmy boy. But that's good enough for us. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for writing, kid. Shut up, kid. (laughs) Nerd. (laughs) Yeah, you nerd. (laughs) Uh, 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 Let's take one more break here on Marvel by the month. We will be right back. Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. This is our final issue of the episode. It's X-Men number 24, which was written by Roy Thomas, art by Werner Roth with Dick Ayers inking. The name of this story is The Plague of the Locust. Uh, So Noah is our guest this week, uh, and that means it's time for the first appearance of yet another lame insect themed villain. Um, Noah was here uh, with us for the uh, first appearance of the Scarlet Beetle and the Beetle. So here we go. Uh, Third time's the charm. The Locust is a mad scientist who dresses up like a giant locust and unleashes very small plagues of very large bugs in farmers' fields. Um, And why is he doing this? Well, he's doing it to increase the demand for his revolutionary new insecticides and, of course, get credit for his genius. Um... But, of course, the X-Men swat him down and ruin his plans. So this is an absolutely crazy issue. So we were talking earlier about, you know, just how dense all of these uh, books are. Um, This one in particular, I feel like on every page and almost every panel, the word balloons are just crowding everything. Like there's so much copy in this issue. It's unbelievable. And absolutely unnecessary for how stupid this plot is (laughs) yeah there is so much dialogue and and thought bubbles and also just like the segue copy that breaks that fourth wall all the time probably a in modern comics worth of of dialogue or letters on the page by page four yep um and it's also it's got a crazy complicated plot like i mean for for what it is it feels like two 1960s issues crammed into one and it, like especially if you compare it to the fantastic four issue that we just read which is basically just like a big fight scene yeah <laughs> this is like there's so much stuff going on there's so many subplots and plots and or yeah, yeah the, the in the the spider-man like rhino shows up you have no idea uh how he he is so powerful and what that dumb suit is, you know, when he gets knocked out by Spider-Man, they can't get his suit off of him. There's all this right. mystery around him in this 
they explain it all. It's like uh, even the <laughs> um, the Scarlet Beetle. Uh, they just kept it dumb, simple, and I appreciated that. Uh, but this one is like this dude works essentially for Dow Chemical. He's a brilliant scientist. He's got these like really powerful insecticides, which I see this as a theme. I'm assuming the '60s. You know, we were having you know asbestos, DDT. These things yep. keep showing up in these comics as um, as these like modern technologies that are so killer for humankind. Uh, you know, they're they're just like, how does this work? It's it's made of asbestos, uh, and then. Uh, Ant-Man saves the day by just spraying DDT all over everything. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, that was the one where my wife was like, wouldn't that kill the ants? And I was like, just get out of here. You know, it's, uh, it's stop logic. ruining this. Yeah. yeah. What are you talking about? No, <laughs> but oh my God, this story, uh, it's thick with plot. Yeah. Yeah. For, um, it, yeah. You're right. For what a dumb, I mean, the, the plot is the guy, uh, wants to be, you know, save humankind and be, have everyone appreciate his invention of really cool pesticide. And, um, but to do that, he needs to manufacture a terrible (laughs) pest threat. So, uh, you know, just having a plague of locusts would be pretty good. Just spray those. But, uh, you know, if you can just sort of frenzy some locusts, but, uh, with a pheromone or something, but he he needs to make the the this uh more of a kaiju style threat and uh make first just like human sized locusts which is also hilarious. Um, well, his yeah his his I forget what he says he's doing to him, but it's some gobbledygook uh, tech that allows the locust eggs to hatch, and then every bite of like grass or grain that they eat uh, allows them to grow and grow and grow. And then eventually he upgrades the tech so they don't even need the grain to grow. They just swell up. It's like a magno ray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he did a triple <laughs> dose, I think, uh, near the end here. And he only creates like, a, at most, a dozen bugs at a time. <laughs> right. It's like, usually like four. Yeah. Just- there's one thing I know about bugs is like whenever, like you don't find, like you find a bird's nest, you know, there's like three eggs inside of it. When you find like where bugs have been there's a thousand eggs that's how much a bug lays you know uh, but for some reason he shows up to like create all this mayhem and he brought six tiny locust eggs with him or whatever uh and i feel like the x-men struggled to kick the shit out of a few locusts that have the locust intelligence they're just they're not they're just eating grass and they're like oh whoa it can fly ah oh, we're like we're having trouble beating like beast is uh, he says, restrain yourself invertebrate. I'm supposed to be apprehending you. It's like, what the <laughs> hell? So, uh, you can tell there's going to be trouble though. The, with the X-Men, with these wimpy, like, uh, these are only like man sized locusts and they don't have any intelligence and they're not being mind controlled. They're just literally eating the grain and there's, they're struggling to, to yeah. beat these locusts up. And in, in like an old, like professor chemist guy in a weird suit, you know, like, yeah, we should describe the weird suit. He looks like a giant locust. Like, yeah, it, 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 he looks like a, a, a locust walking around on its hind legs, but you can right. see his goatee. Yeah. If you had it's similar to the rhino costume, if you had like a, somebody start off making a Jiminy cricket outfit for, for Disneyland, but then made it look a little too much like a cricket, but then made, <laughs> 
like the whole mouth area where a face sticks out or half a face with a beard. Um, there you go. It's just, it looks like somebody maybe like raised pesticide, you know, like a guy who stands yeah, out local, on the corner uh, with local a local pest control just, company. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the guy who stands on the sidewalk spinning a <laughs> sign that says, board. yeah, it also looks kind of like a guy that would be on like space ghost or something. Um, <laughs> very much. Yes. Yeah. You know, like if he was a pest control guy who sponsored an independent <laughs> league baseball team and like created a mascot costume for it, like this is it pretty much. The he almost gets defeated too. Um, once the, you know, once the X-Men do commit some, some insecticide, uh, yeah. they, there's a lot of bug murder. Off there's panel so much here. bug murder in this like, <laughs> and not even just off panel, but I mean, yeah. totally on panel. Like the, the, uh, Iceman is like impaling them with giant ice spears and yeah there's like, a lot of violence uh, against them they blast it out of the sky yeah the uh, the yeah. army shows up with flamethrowers and just like starts torching them <laughs> the yeah. army also showing up is the only way the x-men managed to really clean up the like they can't even end the whole threat before they're moving on to the next problem yeah um, and, which i i don't understand they've got a guy who shoots laser beams from his eyes right like just, how can you just, not take care of a half a dozen large bugs uh, they almost beat the locust by uh, just Iceman making an icy patch underneath him. He just he I'm like, yeah, you know, he could use that power a little more often with just like Magneto doing a big speech and then suddenly slips and falls on his ass. That would yeah. be hilarious. It's uh, very demoralizing. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a paste pot Pete type of uh, weapon there. Like uh, he's Cyclops is firing that laser who that can like cut through steel walls and stuff. And he's like, it's no good. He's wearing some sort of super strong armor. Uh, and he says, of course you overrated clowns. I, I also like how villains are like, just love to insult everybody uh, and say how like you fools, you idiots. Uh, but yeah, then a little tiny patch of ice just takes this dude down hard. And then he can't get his footing. Yeah, he's and he's uh, blasted. I can't get my footing. I must summon help. He can't even <laughs> stand up on the ice. And that's when we get the gigantic giant beetle. Yep. And uh, yeah, they even say out loud, look out. It's some sort of gigantic beetle. <laughs> yeah, I see it. It's taking up half the page. <laughs> <laughs> then they uh, the locust like doubles down at this point. So he he's been just screwing around with these like giant man sized grass eating locusts. And now he's like, Oh yeah, but I did have a beetle the size of like an 18 wheeler and, uh, should have trotted that out first. And now I'm going to just <laughs> make some giant wasps too. Yeah. Which you guys are seeing how this story is literally like has all the stuff from the scarlet beetle. Uh, yep. cause the best part of that scarlet beetle story, uh, is he unleashes all those wasps and they, and they beat the shit out of those cops. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. I'm, I, you know, as time has gone by, I think about that comic. Uh, <laughs> and I remember saying how terrible it was. I mean, it was really bad. Uh, but also it was really, really good because uh, here I am talking about it still. And I feel like they like ran out of an idea and they kind of stole that. Uh, except for these are giant wasps, which are actually cr even cooler than regular wasps. <laughs> they make an ice bubble. Oh, they do. Yeah, they, they, there's a, the giant beetle. They just impale it with ice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in three panels, like uh, the, it appears three panels later, it's impaled. And yeah. Shot. It's not even yeah. like, you know, a lot of times when they fight a giant monster, you know, they, 
they hit the monster, the monster hits back. Nope, they just like fired a giant ice sickle right into its abdomen and uh, <laughs> I guess it's just dead. That's it. They don't show it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so so they're, the X-Men and the army are, are fighting off all these uh, these insects. Um, but then w- what actually winds up convincing uh, the locust that he's making terrible decisions? Um, <laughs> it's just, this is... I, oh God, I hate this. Yeah, this this ending is the worst. <laughs> so first, uh, Jean Grey telekinetically ties the locusts' antennae in a knot, uh, so he can't use them to control his bugs anymore. Um, and then Professor X disguises himself up as like, I guess like a 19th century hermit or something is what he's supposed to be. I don't know. Some sucks. sort of hermit is what it says. Yeah, uh, in the garb of a past century. What is he doing here? The locust asks himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then, like, he gives him a talking to. Yeah. Where he's like, I know you're not a bad guy. Like, uh, <laughs> you got a good heart. Uh, you know, d- d- like, you really want to be an evil dude? And he's just like, you babbling fool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's uh, so th- those are the things I liked. I, uh, that's why I love Pace Pot Pete so much. Because even when his henchman saved his ass out in the middle <laughs> of the ocean, he was still like, pull me out of this water, you idiot. But, uh, so... <laughs> Uh, I, I think he he calls this old traveler a babbling fool, but I think it you know it got to him. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean he does go on to create two more giant beetles, um, but then the beetles ruin his mobile lab, which is like basically just a Winnebago. Uh, once his antenna are tied up, they just become regular old mindless beetles. Yeah, yeah, and and so they they wreck his lab. Um, he almost dies in the accident, um, and then Professor X as the weird old hermit shows up again and that's where like he he's had his come to Jesus moment now he's like okay i almost died you're right i'm not a bad guy um so he's going to surrender to the authorities and pay his debt for the harm he has caused um it's that easy that was that easy and then you know professor x like takes off his fake wig and beard and um, says hey i've got my walking leg my robot legs on again everybody and a disguise yep. Ta-da! just like a stupid disguise a, a fake beard and mustache yeah it's yes. like the groucho Marx sunglasses or the glasses <laughs> with the uh the little mustache on it yeah yeah but why dress as like a bygone era costume of a hermit yeah, and the beard like why do any of that at all I yeah. guess it, it um, the, it's the only type of person who would be out in the middle of nowhere like that or something is a hermit. It's like Rip Van Winkle having just woken up from a right, yeah. nap. Like, <laughs> the big long okay. beard. <laughs> okay. And uh, Professor X, why why didn't he just do, if he's going to show up with his weird leg things and a dumb Scooby-Doo costume, why doesn't he just like mind wipe people like he always does? Uh, yeah, like he does literally every other issue. Yeah. So that's the other thing is um, he didn't even tell the X-Men that he was going to do this. He just did it on his own and he tricked even them uh, because they're, they're saying like, Oh, you should have been an actor professor. Like he did such a good job when he, they're also <laughs> like surprised when he takes off the fake beard. Also like, I feel like, you know, if Rob or Brian uh, came in, like showed up at my house with a fake beard on, I'd be like, what are you doing Rob in that fake beard? I wouldn't be like, Oh, <laughs> A mid-century hermit, you know, is at my house. Like, uh, who could it be? And I hear you talk, and I'm like, I have no idea. Uh, Maybe, uh, you know what? Maybe in that context, it makes sense why Professor X always shows up at the end of an issue and, like, mind wipes everybody because, like, he can read everyone's mind. So either he knows that they're being sincere 
in which case he knows his students are just dirt stupid and he does not oh. trust them to like actually execute <laughs> on anything or he knows that they're bad. just sucking up to him yeah. and this is just like an ego trip for him or so. option three he's planted in their minds that he's a great actor like uh <laughs> he's made them think he's a great actor maybe he that maybe he's still messing with even the locust mine but he just really wants to he's just bored you know he's got yeah. a, he's got these new leg things they work they have like two double a's and they last for three hours or something yeah uh he, He's an Omega level telepath. I mean, like he runs out of stuff to do after a while. Oh, it's so lame and insane. And then just the way the locust is like, uh, the other thing about the X-Men is they never really, they're not known for helping to capture a villain. Nope. They just like, he's like, you know what? I'm going to throw away my weird Magno Ray after my trailer that fell into the ocean or into a river with some giant beetles. I don't know what it is. Um, And then I'm just going to walk off and they're like, cool. Good luck, yeah. man. Uh, yeah. Bye. Yeah, that's yeah. the other thing that's weird. It's like, um, imagine going on a crazy crime spree where you just like destroy all kinds of stuff. You try to kill a whole bunch of people and then uh, you basically your plot's foiled and you're like, oh, crap. Oh, well, I'm just going to turn myself into the authorities, you guys, later. And everybody's like, <laughs> all right, good. And, and then <laughs> Problem solved. while all this is happening, uh, this is all taking place in a matter of like, minutes like his trailers destroyed by giant beetles they all fall into the river and also these beetles are still giant like i don't oh, think yeah. the fall they don't do them. anything about those beetles yeah and they're like they're oh dead. well there's like 25 foot tall carnivorous beetles that just fell in the river and now they're gonna who knows where they're gonna wash up but if you ever thrown <laughs> a beetle into a, a toilet or something they don't just die they just <laughs> they swim around until they can find purchase and get back out of the toilet so after while all this is happening, the locust is walking off. They're all pretending to be impressed with his acting skills. Um, Cyclops is sitting there saying in his head, thank Christ. Uh, he's saying now that the threat's over, Jean will return to college. How long will it be before she forgets the X-Men completely? Like he can't get over this thing. He's like, so uh, in love. It's, yeah. it's really gross. Well, I mean, it's gross uh, when, one, it takes up a lot of space in a bunch of panels in the early part of the comic, and it's taken up a lot of space in a lot of panels, and we all know it, and we get it, and you're really just driving that nail way past where it should be. And it's, it is it is also has the, the same problem that every other unrequited love story has in Marvel Comics of this age, where if literally either one of them just spoke their thoughts out loud to the other one, this would not even be a thing. Which is what they do all the time is speak their thoughts out loud, but not right. in this case. Yeah. You know, uh, but here's, one time. yeah. Uh, with what you're saying, Brian, um, the poor professor has to hear these thoughts. And, just <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like they, they all don't, they all know that he can read minds and stuff. Yeah. So like Cyclops is just laying this baggage all over the professor. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Like just kill me with this. I would just be like, all right, you guys, I'm going to hook you guys up because I can't take it. If I have to hear your thoughts any longer. <laughs> right. Just like Gene, he likes you. Okay. Go on a yeah. date. Do you, you know what you guys like should him? do? It's totally <laughs> just bang, get it over with. <laughs> I love that. That you're right though. They're, they're all talking about how great of an actor professor X is. Scott's all worried about this. Meanwhile, two, you know, like city bus sized beetles are washing up down river, uh, yeah, just to just wander into you know whatever a city. <laughs> 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 uh, 
All right. Well, gentlemen, we made it to the end of uh, this episode's issues. So the only thing that remains is our panels of the month. Um, I will go first because mine is from this very issue here. Um, So uh, my panel of the month is from X-Men number 24, page 12, uh, panel six, which is the last panel on the page. Um, It's the locust revealing himself to the X-Men for the first time. He's striking this bold and dramatic pose um, and delivering like a standard supervillain intro speech. He says, correction, my superpowered simpletons. Rather, it is I who have been patiently waiting for you. For in defeating you, I shall demonstrate the folly of opposing the locust. And all that text is in one panel. Uh, (laughs) And like, you know, most months when we're doing the show, like I will wind up being struck by a particularly moving scene um, or something just like visually brilliant that really elevates this. You know, what is kids pulp stuff, uh, which is what we're reading. but sometimes I will see something and I will literally just laugh out loud at something that is just so dumb. And <laughs> that was my panel of the month this month. Um, yeah, the locust MVP. <laughs> well, I, I'll take the next one. We we already talked about this. Um, well, we may or may not have talked about it, depending on how we cut the episode. But uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Noah and I were. Uh, both talking about I'd already written down this as my panel but he was like this is my panel it's a uh, uh, the Rigelian cruiser in the Thor story um, 132 this is page eight panel two there's only two panels on the page and this is very big and it's just the uh, ray coming out of the black galaxy with that that sound effect booyak, and uh, <laughs> exploding just tiny little pieces of this really cool Kirby space vehicle um, and it's, I, like I turned, I turned the page digitally in this case and really did a like intake of breath when I saw it, it was just so cool looking. It's badass. Uh, it's like the classic Kirby artwork. Uh, yes. So I'll let you have that. Nice. Thank um, you. so I listened to the episode, uh, with Sean baby because, uh, I love him and, um, I was cracking up about you guys talking about like, there's an undeniable punch in the balls that happens in, in one of those comics. <laughs> and I, I even grabbed it in the Marvel app to take a peek at it. And I, I'm going to just agree. Um, there is something very close to that in uh, the Spider-Man issue. This when he's fighting Rhino panel after panel on page 14, uh, that's, I guess it's panel five it definitely looks like he kicks him right in the balls. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. The bock, right? Bonk. Yeah. Uh, and his head hits the, the post behind. And I guess, I mean, you could argue that he kicked him in the face and his head flew up. But again, like where the bock explosion kick is happening. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, and the size of the, like we, everything about the way the scene is laid out, it, it, Spider-Man's too close yeah, and like look for at that his to leg. Be somewhere else. Uh, I so I I'd say uh, to, to carry dick, on that dick theme kick this of a time. dick kick. Yeah, yeah. last yep. one's a punch. This one's a kick. Yep. Uh, and this one's got uh, this one has a lot of funny sound effects too. Like we were talking about, uh, every single panel has fat stip for a slap batoon box stomp. It it just doesn't stop. Uh, so actually I can understand getting pissed off if Stan's the one that's like put a giant uh, 
flying in there. And it's like, <laughs> well, I drew, like I spent two hours drawing that panel. You want me to cover it all up with a dumb word that you made up? But <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to comics kid. Um, well, cool. Well, that's our episode for this week. Noah, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, you bring uh, a, exuberance to this nonsense uh <laughs> that we always appreciate yeah um and uh it's always good to see your face uh i like to bring my form of ignorance to uh to your show hey that's uh, uh, ignorance is most welcome i we're gonna say uh you bring a fresh perspective that's the nice way to, yeah. to describe ignorance, i like to right? think that there's somebody listening that is just infuriated at my ignorance to who these people are <laughs> and that where i uh, uh what did i call uh the human torch uh, flame or something. Today. <laughs> I know somebody's like, Flame-o. what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you got to remember that, you know, probably half of our listeners uh, let us talk about these comics so they don't have to read them. So I think that you're, you're just reminding them how ridiculous human torch is of a name in the first place when you call him Flamo. Um <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So, uh, well, that's another one in the books. Uh, We'll be back next week with something. Um, But uh, until then, you can find us online at marvelbythemonth.com. Hit us up on Instagram at marvelbythemonth and uh, drop us an email, marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Rob, anything else I am forgetting to mention? Nope. Uh, We still have our, oh, we have face masks now. I don't think we've mentioned that. Um, We do, yes. On our Marvel by the Month shop, you can get yourself a uh, Marvel by the Month logo on a face mask. That's red, which is pretty cool. Um, Or you can get the Stay Inside and Read Comics hammer on a face mask, which is uh, even weirdly more timely yeah spend some money and put our logo (laughs) on your face pay to advertise for us that's what we're that's what we're saying um well uh thanks for listening uh thanks again noah for joining us um and uh until next week my name is brian stratton and mine is rob amill and we'll see you next week for next month 